Welcome to Veterans Connected, where maintenance and reliability expert and military veteran Eric Bevavino connects with fellow veterans in industry during each episode, where they exchange their experiences and discuss the transition from the military to industry and the paths and resources that led them to where they are today. The Veterans Connected podcast is proudly produced by the industry's leading network and learning community, Mobius Connect. Eric, over to you. Hello, everyone. I'm Eric Bavino, host of the Mobius Connect podcast, focused on connecting military veterans to the maintenance and reliability community. Our aim here is to bridge the understanding gap between military and civilian worlds, thereby improving the veteran transition journey and ultimately providing hope and a helping hand to any of our brothers and sisters out there struggling to find their way. We'll do this by interviewing veterans who have successfully made it through. For this session, we've chosen to interview one such Army veteran, Mr. Dan Jarvis, whose fascinating and patriotic story is a must listen for anyone interested in joining us on this mission. Really happy to have Dan, founder of the 220 organization. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us here. It's it's a great honor and pleasure to have you. You doing all right today? Yeah, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity to come talk to your audience. Yeah, this uh, this podcast is typically about transitioning. I mean, you can talk a little bit about that in, in your story, but really what we'd like to hear is your story. Like how, where you've been, what have you done? How did 220 get started and all that type of stuff? And, and I'll interject some questions, give you some breaks here along the way, but uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us more about Dan Jarvis? Sure. Thanks, Eric. Um, I think for me, uh, a turning point in my life was March of 2013. And that's when I had just got back maybe a year later after returning from Afghanistan. I found myself in a pretty bad spot emotionally and and physically. And uh, March 2nd, I was looking at a rifle in the corner of my room. And I was at a point where if that was what life had to offer me, I wasn't interested anymore. So I got to the decision point that ending my own life was easier than asking for help, you know, because at the time I was a um, infantry squad leader. I had already deployed twice. I did Iraq for 15 months and just finished up a 12 month tour in Afghanistan. Um, And it was, it was a pretty brutal deployment. Half my, half my kids got medevaced out of country, not to return to the fight. One of, one of our kids was killed by a roadside bomb. Um, Just the the weight of the responsibility of feeling the, the guilt, of, of losing Doug was, you know, it got to the point where it was more than I can handle. Um, eight members of my squad were awarded Purple Hearts to include myself. Uh, I received a, a TBI, a traumatic brain injury, late July of 2011, when I stepped on a pressure plate on a dismounted patrol where I detonated an ID that was about five, 10 feet away from me. So that was kind of, you know, a, a pretty tense point in my life. You know, at the moment, I didn't really think much of it until we got off the objective and we had our security posture. And that's when all the emotions really kind of set in where, holy cow, did that just happen? You know, and to, you know, to have, feel the effects of the TBI and to not be in fully control of your mental capacity at that point. I mean, I was, my bell was rung pretty good and I had a hard time, you know, even reading the GPS, trying to get linked back up with our convoy. So we had to we had to maintain that security halt until the other element came off the mountain and got us, um, you know. And and that was a moment that that changed so much for me because sleep was a luxury after that. I did I couldn't sleep, um, you know. The moment the explosion hit, 
that emotion just seared into your into my mind at that point. So the first few nights after being back um, off, you know, mission, every time I'd close my eyes, I would hear that explosion. And mm. two or three times that this happens, I'm putting my gear on and I realize nobody else is reacting and not because I thought we were receiving indirect fire. It was just that explosion my brain was trying to process. And my heart rate's 170, 180 beats a minute. By the time you're doing cardio at night and there's no way you're going back to sleep. So I was kind of an insomniac after that IED blast. And fast forward three weeks is when we lost Doug Cordo to the IED blast. And for me, I was like, man, you know, if I had to said something more to get somebody else up front, my job was a lead truck commander in the striker unit. I was the one, I'm the pressure point, pressure cooker for the, the convoy. I am the one that's supposed to find the IEDs. I'm the one that's supposed to safeguard the, the convoys we're moving through. And when, when the third vehicle in our order of movement got hit, I realized we'd rolled right over it and we missed it. So I'm like, man, if I'd have said something, if somebody had fresher eyes, somebody who was sleeping, you know, we had a, a, you know, a fresh squad leader, you know, would that have happened? Would he still be here? So those are the things that I had continually told myself over and over. And then at the end of my deployment, I got a red cross notice and that's when my mother passed away. So three weeks left in country, I got sent back stateside to attend my mom's funeral. And, you know, when I found myself back in Alaska after the funeral, you know, the first thing I did was go buy a case of beer and pound as many of them as I could until I slept. And then I realized I can sleep. I can do this. It just cost me about eight to 10 beers a night to actually get to the point where I could sleep. Mm. And that, that type of behavior is so destructive emotionally because you're not allowed to, you're not allowing yourself to process out the trauma. So that just kind of became my, my rinse and repeat, you know, drink, sleep, you know, work, rinse, repeat. And, you know, it culminated on March 2nd of 2013 when I was looking at that rifle and a couple of things that happened to prevent that one was I heard the kids running in the apartment above me. And it really took me out of that moment. So I'm like, well, that's the stupidest idea on the planet. There's no way I'm going to put at risk a child. You know, I didn't have a beef with a kid and my beef was my emotional state. So I passed out that night and woke up to a phone call the next morning, uh, about 830. I think it was a, either Saturday or Sunday morning. And Ryan, who was my driver in Afghanistan, one of my soldiers said, hey, Sergeant Jarvis, did you hear about Corey? I'm like, nobody would happen. Corey shot and killed himself last night. Corey was a, uh, a young, you know, 22 year old dad who's a husband and nobody had a clue that he was even struggling. And then I realized nobody had a clue I was struggling. So that was the week that my life kind of changed for the better, where I decided that that was no longer an option. You know, I saw how it affected the men, you know, the suicide of another soldier. And there was no way I could get permission to one of my guys to do the same thing. So I always credit Corey Smathers for saving my life. Unfortunately, it's when he took his own. So fast forward another, I don't know, maybe a little over a year or so, I got I was in the process of getting medically retired. That by that time I'd had three surgeries, um, both shoulders, my left knee, and you know, being in the infantry is a, a younger man's profession. Mm-hmm. And you know, the army said, We need your slot for somebody healthy. And I get it, I understood that. So I put in my paperwork, I got medically retired uh, September eleventh, twenty fourteen. They gave me my orders and sent me on my way. And I had to transition back into the civilian world, which was a whole lot more difficult than, you know, originally would have thought, you know, almost like for a lot of the guys and girls that come out of service, it's almost like a week honeymoon where you feel really good because you're free and you get to do what you want. You don't have to be in formation, <laughs> right. you don't have to wear a uniform, 
And then reality kind of sets in and you're like, shoot, now what? Right. Mm. Um, but what I ended up doing was I traded one uniform for another. I had already worked law enforcement in the past. So I, I went back to the police academy. I got certified in the state of Florida again to be a deputy sheriff. And I worked for another couple of years. And, uh, you know, that was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, it was weird because when I put that uniform back on, something odd happened to me. I felt normal again. Right. It's like, okay, I got this. You know, all that stuff is behind me. I'm moving forward in life. Uh, but what I didn't understand was first responders, whether you're police, fire, EMS, you operate by profession in the fight or flight. Right. So, guess what? We're normal. It's kind of like the soldier that wants to go back to war. Right. They want to go back to war because they feel normal there. So, I felt normal again as a deputy sheriff. You know, I'm, I'm wearing a gun, I got a vest on, I'm, I'm policing the streets, I'm, I'm arresting guys. And then, you know, two years in, you know, I was having a lot of back issues because I have um, sciatic issues from uh, spinal stenosis in a gun belt compressing the nerve. So like my last six months in a uniform, I literally would have to lift my leg into the into the vehicle um, just to sit down. And then my, you know, my ex-wife and I, we had had a conversation. I was like, well, this is, you know, chasing, you know, 20 year old meth addicts through the woods of Polk County, Florida didn't seem like a you know, a good use of my time anymore. Um, I enjoyed it. It was fun, but it was like, you know, I think it was time to pass that torch to the younger generation. And weirdest thing happened as soon as I retired and stopped working, everything came back with a vengeance, all the demons, everything was like nightmares, night terrors, night sweats, the intrusive memories, emotions flooding me when I was least expecting it triggers. And I'm like, dude, I thought I was past this. I had no idea. You know, the work we do now, I understand why, but at that time I, I felt like a fish out of water again. So my ex-wife was like, you know, you really need to go talk to somebody. You need some help. Um, I didn't have a badge and I didn't have a security clearance to worry about. So I'm like, well, shoot, I'll just go to the VA. And I go to the Department of Veterans Affairs, like all the other men and women that serve do or most do. And first thing they did was, here, go fill this prescription, take some pills. Right. That was like, and then the next thing I realized, I'm getting drugs and labels, neither of which I wanted. You know, eventually I was clinically diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, with major depressive disorder, and I was given drugs and talk therapy. Uh, the VA's gold seal treatment for PTSD therapy is something called prolonged exposure. Um, at some point in our history, and I hope it's in my lifetime, it is deemed to be something like electroshock therapy because it's extremely brutal. 60% um, of the veterans that go through exposure therapy will quit. They won't be able to complete it. It's um, basically reactivating all those pathways, the neural pathways between the emotions and the memories, because you're you're exposing the veteran to the trauma over and over again. So is what they want. So, sorry, sorry, Dan. Is that also known as a CBT, the cognitive? Well, basis? it's similar to CBT. Cognitive is actually like us having conversations. So it, it's it's technically cognitive, but but the exposure is a little bit different. It is okay. a CB, it is a method of CBT, but it's like. Like for me, I had to tell the story that we lost Doug Cordo from beginning of the patrol all the way out to the blast, all the way back onto the base. So they have you tell and retelling that entire story. Over, the problem, and over, and over and over and over again. So your full hour is you're fully triggered for the entire the entire appointment. And then mm. they send you home and your emotions are all activated. And then they're giving you homework assignments. One of the homework assignments was go sit in your office for an hour and listen to taps, right? That's called in vivo exposure. I don't know about you, but listening to taps downrange when you're losing guys is brutal, right? It's not something you want to listen to over and over again, but they're trying to desensitize you to those emotions. 
Mm. So, and then another one was, hey, go into a restaurant and put your back to the door as you're eating. Well, screw, screw you. I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of law enforcement. You're telling me I'm going to have my back to a door. Plus, I've got active triggers. There's no way that's going to happen. So that was my VA experience. Um, after my second appointment, they had canceled an appointment on me, and I couldn't get back for another four weeks. So I finally went back. Four weeks later, they schedule another appointment um, after that session, and then they cancel another appointment, and I couldn't get in for eight weeks. Now, mind you, it's supposed to be a 12-week therapy cycle. So you're supposed to go once a week for 12 weeks. So in that window, they had already had to reschedule out 12 weeks. So I realized this is going to take a long time because I hate to tell you, but I have a lot more than just one traumatic event that I wanted to process through. And at the time, my ex-wife was like, you're getting worse. What's going on? I said, it's like pulling an artery, a tourniquet off of an arterial wound, and you're just gushing those emotions out. So that really kind of like was the end of my VA experience. I, I had called the, I told the VA, I said, well, I'll check my schedule and I'll reschedule with you guys. And they're like, that was okay for them. They, they were satisfied with that. That was in 2017. And nobody ever called me back after that to see where I was. So that's when I realized, holy cow, man, I'm a fairly educated person. And I fell through the cracks. I mean, it was more of a chasm than a crack. And so I was looking for other alternatives. I went through as many, I was looking for many outside of the VA options as I possibly could to try to fix the problem because I was, I'm like, I'm adamant. There's got to be a better way, right? This cannot be the rest of my life. There's no way I want to live this way. So I ended up looking through some alternative. I went through EMDR, I went through something called accelerated resolution therapy, and then I went through, um, I was invited to Albuquerque, New Mexico for a, the first public training of the Research and Recognition Project. And that was something called the Reconsolidation of Traumatic Memories Protocol, RTM for short. And what they do is it's kind of like a CBT sandwich. So you're doing cognitive therapy on the front end where you're talking about your experience until you trigger and then they stop you. And then they run a visual kinesthetic dissociation process. And then they do talk therapy on the backside. So it's an 89-line script that they take you through. It takes about an hour to an hour and a half to go through. And I was listening to the, to the trainers in the class talking about how quickly PTSD can actually heal. And B, being an ex-law enforcement officer, plus a soldier who's been through enough, plus somebody who's been dealing with trauma since childhood, I'm like, yeah, you guys are so full of it, right? And I told the, guy, I told the lead trainer the next day on day two, I said, you know, you're, that's a pretty big pill you're asking me to swallow. You know, you're, you're telling me that in a very short period of time, you know, three to five sessions, you guys have a 90% success rate at healing the trauma. He says, yep, that's exactly what it, that's exactly what the research shows. And I'm like, well, uh, if I'm going to recommend this, because I'd already started 220, um, about six months prior, but I said, if I'm going to recommend this to any veteran or first responder, I want to go through it. So uh, he was like, okay. You want to do it in 15 minutes when we come off break in front of the class? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, game on. I'm about to show you. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, yep. I, exactly. That's exactly what I want to do. I want to, <laughs> I want to do it right in front of all these people. I'm about to prove that this guy was full of, full of, you know what? And then I get up there and they have me tell the story. And, and I told the story. Next thing I realized I'm triggering pretty hard. And there's 25 people that I don't know in the, in the class. And then they do the break state. They get you out of those emotions and then they kind of reground you. And then they start this process and you're, and it's really odd because you're, you're doing visual exercises um, and they use a movie theater and you're down in a, in the movie theater seated and you're up in the projection booth 
and then you're watching the screen and then you're entering the last part of the movie and you're doing rewinds, really kind of odd things. I was like, how is this going to do anything? So they're just a quick interjection. Cause I've, I've gone through the template through your training, which you right. put me through. Thank you very much. So for the audience, when you say they put you here and they put you there, they're really that the template is asking you to think about yourself in these different positions. Correct. Yeah. So you're, you're doing what's called disassociating now in, in a mental health world, disassociation has always been a, a bad word, right? We, we want to be associated, but they're using disassociation to your benefit. So you see yourself in the theater watching the movie. You're not actually watching the movie because you have to see how he's reacting down in the theater. And then you enter the movie at the end and you do this rewind. And after that rewind process, they have you talk about the traumatic event again. So then I started telling that same story that I triggered on maybe 40 minutes earlier. And I'm waiting for that shoe to drop. I'm like, okay, where's the emotions? And I got through the whole story and I'm like, and I, I literally stopped and I looked, I looked at the trainer and I'm like, okay, what kind of Jedi stuff is this? Right. It's exactly what I said. Half the class is laughing. The other half of the class is wiping tears out of their eyes because they just watched a real world traumatic experience vanish. And these are licensed professional counselors, not something they're probably accustomed to seeing. So it was like a paradigm change for those folks. And then the sleep hits. And then I, I remember after um, going through that, I walked over to Dr. Frank Burke and I'm, I, I looked at him. I says, why is this not everywhere? Right. Why is this not available to all of the men and women who serve? And he kind of went into a little bit about the, the mental health world and, you know, resistance to change and you know, accepting new possibilities. And then I looked at him, I said, you know, when I was looking at that rifle in 2013, and if I had known this was real, I would have wrote you a check for 10,000 bucks all day, every day, because I didn't want to die. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. So from that point forward, we continue to support that organization. And we were raising money. Literally every penny we had coming into 220 was paying for treatment or, or not treatment, but for training of therapists so that we would have people to send veterans and first responders to. And, you know, and then we found out, wow, this is, this is difficult because the mental health world has to operate within the confines of their licensure. So if you're the license in Florida and I got a veteran in Georgia and there's no therapist in Georgia, guess what? They're at their SOL. They're out of luck. So then the pandemic hits all the money dried up, like literally there's no funding coming in. So now we can't even fund trainings for the other organization. And then we had to kind of regroup, right? Well, how do we, how do we, how do we fix this? Right. How do we still operate and, and help our men and women in uniform, whether it's police, fire, EMS, or military or veterans. And so we just kind of regrouped and we said, you know, we went back to a body of work called neuro-linguistic programming. It's called NLP. Many people might know who like Tony Robbins is. That's where he that's where he learned his process. He's he ended up rebranding it to a different name and under his own um, brand. But so we went back into the the roots of the same work that Dr. Burke did, and we're like, you know, we can we can recreate the wheel here. We already know the basic principles, so we ended up developing our own protocols for twenty two zero that we actually own, that we can actually train, and then we can actually train peers to do this. Because as a nonprofit, as a 501c3, we can train a veteran to work with another veteran, a cop to work with a cop, firefighter to work with a firefighter, and the legal protections are there just as if they were a licensed professional, providing we don't say we're licensed or take a fee from them, we're, we're good to go. We're literally on the same level as a clinical psychologist, even though they may not like to hear that. Uh, the, the real gatekeepers are the people of the states that pass legislation, and that legislation allows us to do exactly what we do. So we ended up 
um, we developed two different processes. We went, we did one for the trauma work and that was the trauma resiliency protocol. And, and then we worked with emotions work because that's almost like the, the necessity. You've got to do the emotions work with the trauma work because after the trauma is gone, that's that fear, terror, helplessness, the other emotions expose. You might have rage. You might have anger. You might have deep, profound sadness or survivor guilt that presents itself. So we developed a process called the emotions management process that will literally allow, it's kind of a framing exercise. Once the trigger is activated, you can release the neural pathway and basically input information into that subconscious part of the brain where the trigger disconnects. Um, so say somebody with anxiety, right? You're always anxious all the time. You can find the root of the anxiety and you can release and ref after you reframe it where you won't have anxiety anymore. Same thing with PTSD. So we started collecting data. We had a clinical psychologist who used to work for the VA. He was like, you got to get the data. You got to get the data. And I'm like, I'm a data guy. I really don't care. I see it working. Let's just, let's just get on with this. So she convinced me um, to actually put together some research. So we did a case study with hundred clients. Uh, it was a mixture of first responders, active military veterans. We had some nurses in there, some mental health professionals and some civilians. So it was like a, a big eclectic group of people and all hundred of them had post-traumatic stress and they're, we use the, uh, the post-traumatic stress disorder symptom scale interview version five, the PSSI five as a metric to test where you can see neurologically where they are. And their average scores of the hundred was about 56. Anything like 40 or higher is pretty high because you're, you know, four days a week, you're not doing too well, you know, 60 or higher, your you're, every day sucks pretty much. I was in the high seventies and it only goes to 80. So we had a hundred cases, 56 0.6, I think was our average. And between one and four sessions worth of work, all 100 of them dropped to an average of 2.12. Okay. In the mental health world, a 10 point deviation is clinically significant. We're seeing 60 and 70 point deviations, like huge deviations, which means they were going asymptomatic. In other words, they were no longer having PTSD symptoms. So I'm like, I saw the data. I'm like, okay, now I'm intrigued. Let's replicate this. Let's do another study. So then we did another study with 100, and that one was primarily civilians. And 100 of them, their average score was around mid-50s as well. And between one and three sessions, their scores dropped to like 1.6. Okay. Now it's like, well, you're telling me 100% of the people no longer have PTSD in both of these study groups. That's 200 people. And right now we're at about 1,033 data points where – that's people, individual people. Most of them are first responders or military or veterans or, or spouses. So there are some civilian mixtures in that. And it's like that all across the board on all of the studies. So we started adding data for anxiety and depression as well. So we've got data on depression and anxiety, which also shows them not being anxious anymore and not being depressed anymore, which means PTSD, anxiety, major depressive disorder are neurological issues. They're not, they're not psychological. Right. You may develop psychological issues as a result of it over a period of time, but the events that cause them are moments in time where there's an active trigger. That's it. So anxiety started somewhere. It didn't just develop over time. Something started that lynch, that piece of, of data in that trail that caused anxiety over and over. Same thing with depression, right? Say somebody had an event where there's a profound level of sadness attached to it. And next thing you know, they keep triggering that sadness over and over. Well, what is it? What is sadness? What is that? Over time, that's depression, mm. right? PTSD, your fight or flight, same thing. You're triggering all those emotions. You're having the nightmares, the night sweats, the night terrors. 
It's just that neurological connection point. So when you're able to go to those roots of those issues, you can detach those pathways, problem solved, right? And we do get some resistance from the clinical world, mental health world. A lot of them resist what we're doing because one, we're not psychologists. We didn't do eight, nine, 10 years of, of college. We're doing three, three days of training and we're having profound effects that they don't even see in their profession. So there's some resistance from that world. that I don't understand why we have trained therapists very successfully who are using it regularly. I have a, a Vietnam veteran who's a therapist in Virginia Beach. We trained him and he was just so profoundly moved after the training because he had to heal himself in the training. And he used the accelerated resolution therapy was his primary go-to. And now he contacts me. He goes, hey, I'm the only guy in my practice working with PTSD and He's like, I'm getting five or six referrals every single day now because everybody's gravitating to him. So for four months now, he's been trained and he's working with five or six people every single day. Do the math, right? We could collectively fix the problem if we could open the eyes of that profession, but it's just the way it is. And, you know, for us, uh, we're just trying to work our way out of a job. You know, 22 zero is, is a very specific meaning. We lose 22 average on day to suicide. The goal is zero. We get to zero, we can close the doors and move on. Now, will I ever see that in my lifetime? I don't know. I hope we do, right? I know we're moving heaven and earth to, to do it. And right now we're, we're training active police and fire departments to do this. We got a huge opportunity coming up with the U.S. Border Patrol in August that could lead to training 20,000 Border Patrol agents. You know, to me, that's, that's a, a unbelievable feat because if we do that, that changes the whole conversation. You know, we've already trained a, a group of about 10 Border Patrol agents. So now we're getting into the supervisors in D.C. We're going to be training them. And if they like the training, that's what they said. They said, so you're telling me that they have to heal as part of the training. I said, yes, they have to work on real world traumatic events. You know, and Dr. Pam Arnell has been working with them hand in hand and they've been sending people to us. And they're like blown away by it. Right. Because they they're losing people to stress. They're losing people to suicide in, <clears throat> in their services and they're looking for solutions. Because a lot of veterans go work in that profession. A lot of veterans go work for the Border Patrol, other law enforcement agencies, fire departments. So to be able to train them and let them heal um, in the training is what's catching their eye because they could literally put their agents through the training just for the purpose of fixing their own emotional regulation. So that's pretty, that'll be pretty cool if that does happen. Transformative, right? I mean, the force, the force multiplication of getting people who know. And, and experience. I mean, the the story about the Vietnam vet in Virginia Beach is is incredible, right? He's been holding on to these emotions for fifty years, maybe yep. sixty years, and then to be that changed, it's yep. it's truly incredible, Dan. And this is this is all done. Well, you have some clinical psychologists who are peer coaches in the team, right? Mm-hmm. But but a lot of peer coaches who are simply veterans or you know first responders who have yeah. taken taken the training and in are working people through the templates they don't have to listen to any yep. of the real meat that may result in in residue on on the, the the peer coach right because it is the templated process one of the metaphors that you used in training for me are for us but that really resounded with me was it's like taking a memory in your hard drive and, and in the front of your brain or a different part of your brain and moving it to uh, a safer part or disconnecting, disconnecting the, the memory with the emotion. 
Is that yeah, so? So I I look at the amygdala, the fight or flight mechanism of the brain, as a thumb drive, quick access, nightmares, flashbacks, intrusive thoughts, emotions. Right, that's easy access. That's the amygdala's job is to try to preserve and protect you, but it's it's keeping that information like it's happening right now, even though it might have been ten years ago, or fifty years ago, or seventy years ago. And we're doing is we're moving that removing that pathway and basically taking that thumb drive and putting that file back into the hard drive. So if you're like me, I can never find anything on my computer hard drive. I know I can find it on my thumb drive. Same thing. Yeah. Mingo, right? You put that thing in the part of your brain. It's called memory reconsolidation. It's like, wow, that yesterday that felt like it was just happening. Now it's like, well, that was such a long time ago. So, and the, and the cool part is we don't even allow them to discuss their traumatic experiences. We don't need it, right? The the real trigger, the real the, the secret is the trigger. Right? With the active trigger, you can change the state of emotion. We don't need to know what it is. You do, right? So when we set up the visual processes, you're setting it up based on your life experience. We don't need to know. All we need to know is what picture is one and what picture is two in the name of your movie. We set up the template. Like you say, you, you read down the script. By the time you get to line 18, your stress level is maybe a 10 to a zero. You're no longer feeling those emotions anymore. And that's the really cool part. Um, to be able to do that on the level that we've done that is, is remarkable. And the fact is, if you're a veteran and you reach out, you're going to work with a veteran. You're not going to work with a therapist. You're not going to work with a psychologist. You're going to work with somebody who's walked in your boots or walked a beat or, or put fires out. You know, you're going to walk, you're going to work with somebody who has a connection to you based on your, your shared experiences. And you, you know, don't have, to, you don't have to wait for four months for an appointment or to get rescheduled or get pushed a bunch of drugs or yep. anything like that. I've worked with veterans who've been on at least 23 drugs, so up to 23 drugs for PTSD and anxiety and depression. They'll end up start, they'll end up treating symptoms. And next thing you know, they're on a cocktail of medications. That's where the brain chemistry gets is messed up is in the, the application of, of drugs. You don't need it. Your brain has got the ability to heal itself. We're just, you know, I always tell people, it's like you're driving the car. We're just holding a map. We're showing your brain what it needs to do to release those emotions. And it's mind blowing when you actually watch it. So Dan, how many peer coaches have you trained uh, through the process? Oh, I know I, I came on uh, during COVID when I had yeah. my, my why moment and, and was walking the dog and I'm like 22, 22, there's gotta be something about 22. I come back to the computer. I, I type in a Google search. You guys are the first guys that come up. I give you a call. You call me right back. I'm like, what is going on here? This is a committed guy. Yep. Yep. But sorry. Anyway. Yeah. I'd say collectively we've got to be about 260 plus coaches now, not all coaches are as active. Well, unfortunately, what happens is we get a lot of veterans with PTSD come through the training. They find healing. Next thing you know, there's a new purpose in their life. And they're like, oh, I want to go do that. We're like, you don't have to. So if you're in the audience, you want to be a coach, that's great. But you don't have to take the training to heal. We'll do that for you at no cost, right? A veteran, um, first responder, uh, a spouse, a child of a veteran that, that's living in the home, we'll work with all of them. And there, there's no cost to it. Well, I, there is one cost. When you heal, you got to send us two to three more, right? That's that's the deal, right? <laughs> so you you guys heal and then send us your buddies and we can heal them as well. But yeah, we have about 250. I would say active coaches, pretty active, probably about 75 right now. So collectively, we've worked with about 6,500 people since we started five years ago. Um, and that's probably a low number because we stopped counting the data from the therapists that we train. You know, we didn't count any of the data that the therapist, uh, Charlie in, in Virginia Beach, has worked with. And heck, five a day for the last four months, 
you know, five days a week, do the math, you know, so we may be way, way, way over that. Um, but we're still a long ways to go, you know, and, but I want people to understand you don't have to stay in a state of emotional stress, right? It's very unhealthy, right? You're looking at, look at law enforcement or firefighters, you know, they'll live 20 years less than the average person because of the amount of exposure to traumatic experience, you know, and I'm, I know any veteran out here who knows a veteran, you know, the suicide rate is extremely high. You know, every veteran, every time I go to a function, I'll ask everybody, if you know somebody who has died by suicide in a uniform, raise your hand. And literally it's like a hundred percent of an audience will have their hands up and I'll have everybody look around. That's a problem. That's got to change because that person suffering ended, but guess what? The families just began and will go on for, for quite a while. Same thing in the first responder world. We're losing more first responders to suicide than line of duty deaths. But to be able to so quickly, we've had people go through the treatment. They were like, I was literally at the end. I was at a point where I was getting ready to check. I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard people say, you know, I'm glad that happened because had I not found you, I'd be dead right now. You know? And we're talking literally an hour block of time, right? right? Yeah. An hour block of time to, to save, save your own life, to save right. somebody's life who's who's on the edge. And, and I would, uh, I would also throw out there, Dan, I mean, suicides, I haven't looked at the numbers lately. I did a little bit of research on it, but um, there's so much anxiety and depression mm -hmm. and, and drug pushing in just in the general public yeah. in the United States that uh, suicide's becoming more and more uh, of an issue. My, well, my wife works in it and, you know, she's had, you know, a couple people, you know, pass away, unfortunately, uh, for this, for similar reasons. Yeah. Just, just to address that, um, Nick Davis and I, he's, he's vice president of 22 my best friend. We're like, it's hard to do this work in a philanthropic sector with over 20,000 veteran nonprofit organizations. So we're like, there's gotta be a better way for us to, to fund the, the solution. So we created an organization called anxiety guys with a specific purpose of addressing the civilian problem, because it's not inherent to military. It's not inherent to law enforcement. We don't hold the patent on trauma. We don't hold the patent on anxiety. In the United States of America, the National Institute of Health has reported 21% of all American adults, 21% of adults in America are clinically diagnosed with anxiety. That's just the adults. That's not counting our kids. And you know what COVID has done to the kids over the last couple of years being isolated and being separated from their friends. You know, adolescent suicide is the largest growing demographic. So, we started the anxiety guys just for that purpose. Hey, let's let's work with the civilian sector and then we'll use the profits that we make on the civilian sector, sector to fund the nonprofit, which is it's remarkable because we go after the civilian markets and there is no rejection to what we're doing. I mean, every once in a while you might get somebody to say, well, you know, I don't. And that's fine. I mean, everybody's got to be ready in their own time. But we're in Oklahoma right now with with a marketing group and we're working corporately with their entire team. Like today, I've already worked with five people. Right. And, you know, my partner, Nick, has already probably worked with five people, you know, so that's where we're getting our biggest growth. And that uh, so that's uh, going to fund. That's going to be able to allow us to fund the administrative costs of 20 zero. So, so we you won't guys, have to money. I, I gotcha. I didn't realize that you you guys are doing sort of corporate corporate sales. Right. You're going in a corporation, you're helping you know, resolve mm -hmm. emotional strain and stress and, and trauma, you know, if you find it right in, and you will find it. <laughs> well, I'll say um, I've worked with five people today. They're all civilians. Well, one military guy, but the other four were civilians and they all had trauma and most of them had more than one event. 
So they're going to have a culture change in the workforce, right? Think about it. If you're in a workplace scenario and you're triggering all the time, guess what shuts off? Logic brain. What do you need to get your job done? You need the logic. You need that prefrontal cortex. So we're able to go in and shift cultures. Our first corporate contract was with a defense contract company. You know, it was half the mill, half their guys we worked with the military and half the other half were civilians. And they were mind blown at the, tra- at the rapid transformation. I mean, we had, we've had guys that have worked in special operations for a couple of decades in a very short period of time, be like, holy cow, how did that happen? You know, and, and when the, the, the CEO of that company actually observed us run the process, he was like, hold on. It literally goes and it gets eight people lined up. And Nick and I end up staying the night, worked with eight people. And that's how it's, that's the biggest growth because now we're going to shift their culture, their productivity. And then by that, we're going to be able to fund 20 to zero where we're not going to have to beg for money. We're just going to take care of it. No, that's, that's fantastic. And very smart too, by the way, uh, from a guy who's been in corporate America for a few decades, uh, that, that will work for sure. And, uh, I mean, gee, Dan, you sound like a neurologist, uh, you know, like you've been trained, like you should have a PhD in this stuff. Any there, training there's, there? There's more knowledge in this brain than any <laughs> infantryman should have when it comes to the brain. But it just, it's just, I've had to do enough research and study because that's the only way I've been able to learn what we do. Um, I'm at the point now where, yeah, I would be called unconsciously competent at what mm-hmm. we do. I can literally sure. sit there and have a conversation with somebody and help them disconnect trauma and sometimes it's, you know, I worked with a Hillsborough County deputy sheriff, three traumatic events in a nine-year career it took us 15 minutes to take all three tens to zero. So it depends on how visual the person is. It's all visual imagery. So if a person is super hyper-visual, it's very quickly. So at probably at the, you're not going to ever be done in one. There's That's probably impractical and, and not necessarily an accurate statement. Average is two to four sessions, right? So two to four sessions you're able to get through all the trauma, all the negative emotions, because what will happen is as the brain starts to sleep, it'll process, and then it'll start presenting other emotions, underlying emotions. Like, so maybe anger, sadness, you know, rage, fear, resentment, maybe those are your biggest emotions, and then they're gone. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, maybe it's abandonment or rejection or something less. And so those emotions will present over time. And it's just, we're layers, you know, it's like, to like, you know, it's like onions, you know, you peel layers and more presents and then you can pr- resolve it. So, I mean, I've, I've been doing work on myself for five years now. Every once in a while, I'll find something new, but, oh, that, but it lets me identify it and then I can address it, process it and release it. Well, and I think, I think the key here is deep sleep, right? Deep sleep. And, and the neuro neuroplasticity that the brain can actually heal itself if given the opportunity. But if you're just tamping the emotions down with drugs and booze, or work, right? Getting into another high-speed job that you're in stress all the time. So you exactly. can't even can't even feel it, then the brain never has a chance to yep. really do so what it can do. Yeah. You you guys you guys focus on transition. I'd like to address that just for sure. a little bit. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize the first 18 months of transition from military to civilian life is the most critical for the veteran. Because what you're getting is if they've come out of a you know a high op tempo. They've been deploying multiple times. If you get to that point and you're transitioning, you're not going to be able to connect with people to your left and your right. Your civilians, you're not, they're not going to understand you. Some of them might even be scared of you. And let's get into the drinking part. We tend to be self-medicators with alcohol. And the reason why we do that is because when that vagus nerve goes supersonic and you're all triggered, 
right? Your, your high energy, your high anxiety will drink. And what is, what is alcohol? It's a central nervous system depressant. So guess what? It works. It calms that vagus nerve down and gets you into that calm state. Problem is you don't hit REM, REM sleep cycles. You don't process the emotions. You'll end up waking up the next day and doing it all over again. So when you can disconnect those pathways, what will happen is the body will go into what's called rest and digest. It'll go into a parasympathetic state, and then the brain will process through sleep. We've had people call me like, dude, what did you do to me? I slept 13 hours last night. I don't sleep more than two hours any night because your brain finally turned off and it was rewarding you by sleeping, right? Thank you. Appreciate you shutting down for a little while so I can go to work. And next thing you know, they're feeling energized. They're not feeling those emotions all over the place. They're not having triggers. They're more engaged. They're more present with their family. And understand this, if you're struggling with post-traumatic stress or anxiety or depression, your family is struggling right next to you. Your kids are going to model your behaviors. They're going to see what's going on in your life. They're going to feel your emotions and it's going to change their behaviors. Remember that if you're angry all the time and you have a son or a daughter, guess what? They're going to end up angry, right? So you owe it to your children to heal, right? And the really cool part about all the work we do, brother, is I'm not a therapist, right? So I can't say you you have PTSD. I can't say you don't have it. I can't say you have anxiety or don't have it. I don't have the legal authority to do that. And guess what? None of our information gets passed on to the Department of Veterans Affairs. So what you tell them is up to you. I want the audience to understand that. They can come to us. Really important. Yep. They can come to us. And and if the funny thing is I have twice I've had um, subpoenas for records and I send them our records and they're like, what the heck is this? I just, I just sent them a copy of my notes. They can't even decipher our notes because I have no idea what is in here that they're processing. It's picture one, picture two, name of the movie, number of disassociated rewinds. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense to them. So it doesn't do anything for them anyway. So we just want to help you guys sleep and stay alive. Oh, without a doubt, beautifully said. And I think it's important on the, both on the transition side, but also on the, on the benefit side, right? Because I mean, first folks are afraid to, or not afraid, but reluctant, let's call it reluctant. Cause you have very courageous people who have been through hell and back. Right. So they're not lacking any sort of courage. It's just nope. don't want to, don't want to be stigmatized. So, so first off, don't worry about that. You won't be stigmatized. Second off, you won't have your benefits <laughs> taken away because we don't, we don't, you don't, we don't do any, you know, reorganization of that stuff. And, uh, you know, you got nothing to lose. Basically. Well, uh, yeah. When I, when I had my paradigm changed, I went to the VA psychiatrist that was assigned to me and I requested to be reevaluated. And he said, why, what's wrong? I said, there's nothing wrong. I don't have PTSD anymore. I want you to give the money to somebody who needs it. And he, as serious as could be, looks at me and says, you can't cure PTSD. You're going to have it for the rest of your life and you're going to need to take medication and do therapy. I'm like, well, I'm sleeping. I'm not triggering. I'm not upset anymore. And of course, then my ex-wife was like, he probably put down in your records, you were delusional, but, but that's the system we live in, right? They don't, they they have, they have blind, they have a blind spot. They've been educated a very specific way. Here's the box that you have to operate in. We are so far outside of that box. They don't, they have, they cannot comprehend what it is we're doing. In a world that needs this more than ever today, right? With all the the advent of the electronics, the digital, the the misogyny that's there, the the making kids feel and, and everybody feel like they need to be something that they're not through this constant right. messaging. It's it's creating more and more and more. Plus, I mean, hey, 
One thing that veterans know how to do in all the veterans that I've met bar a couple extreme examples, we're taught how to lead by the best leadership program yep. in the world that I've, I've experienced. And we need that leadership. We don't need people on the sidelines over medicated and, and hungover or, or high or whatever, right? We need folks back in the game to help make them make the country better. At the well, same yeah. time. And, and Eric, you're looking at like, when we're in a military unit, we're in a team, right? We function as a team. If, if alpha team is pinned down by, by enemy fire, I, I'm taking Bravo team around the flank to assault across the objective so we can alleviate the pressure on alpha and, and win the fight. We come home and transition into civilian world and we want to do everything ourselves. It makes no sense, right? So if you're listening to this, you can't do everything by yourself. You have to ask for backup once in a while. That's what we're here for. We're just, we're just backing it, backing you guys up, you know, and, and, you know, there's no reason for you or your families to have to endure living with PTSD. You can be absolutely 100% unequivocally mic drop PTSD free. Which is, which is miraculous, incredible. And uh, we're so thankful for your experience and your ability to take this forward to the rest of the rest of the country and rest of the world, certainly the veteran community and anybody transitioning. I mean, transitioning as you were mm -hmm. with, with post-traumatic stress and, you know, sort of got you into another, another high stress situation until with the sheriff's department, right. Until you, you moved on. I mean, there you're so right. It, it did feel to me though. I wasn't, I'm not a combat veteran, didn't have, or never been diagnosed for post-traumatic traumatic stress though i mean we all have some sort of trauma i mean literally we're only a, a generation away from people who came back from world war ii who in you know vietnam that had that and and you talk about that you know mimicking parents behavior and, and grandparents and aunts and uncles and that type of thing i mean the transition portion should be just like a dive buddy or a battle buddy or, or anything like this. If we can, we can get veterans transitioning to think more, well, get them to think more, to get the process to be better. So it's not like, oh, you're a quitter, you're leaving or you're broken, you're getting kicked out. It's like, no, we're thankful for your service. We're going to team you up with somebody on the civilian side, somebody who's been there before. If you have, if you have emotional anxiety or depression or, or uh, traumatic memories, we're going to team you up with 220. If we're going to, you know, you want some corporate advice, you can go to somebody like Dan or Eric that can help you get into a job where you're well-suited and you can have some camaraderie. Man, that, that mindset needs to change too. But I'm glad to hear that things are going so well for you and for 220. I'm, I'm delighted and thankful and honored to be a part of that. And really, really happy to have you on the podcast here today, Dan. I mean, what, is there any other advice or anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to, you wanted to mention while we have you here? Well, I know I, Nick I just, is your partner in crime. He's doing oh, a great job too. Maybe we need to have Nick on the podcast. Nick, Nick's great. As well. he's, he's very passionate. He's as pa equally as passionate as I am. Um, my advice to everybody is understand humans are emotional meaning seeking creatures. We need human connection, right? Which is why when you're in transition, if you isolate, that's when you're most vulnerable. Do not isolate, get plugged in to an organization somewhere, 
whether it's a VFW or an American Legion, find a purpose, find a mission, you know, you know, come over to the 220 side of the house. We'll find, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put you to work somehow. You know, our thing is we need to find the veterans to, to work with and heal. We need to heal their families so that we can restart restoring the culture. We need to start changing that. Um, you don't have to do this alone. There's no reason for it. If you can be traumatized in such a short period of time, why can't you be untraumatized? And that's what we look at. Matter of fact, you can actually be untraumatized faster than you were traumatized. So we've had people with lifetime histories of trauma. Within four hours, it's all part of the past. Those pathways are gone quickly. So don't don't go it alone. Incredible. Incredible. Look under every rock and find some magic, right? And, and bring you it to it. the world. <laughs> you got it. Well, Dan, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and help us on this mission. How can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more? So if you're looking for treatment, you can go to gethelpat220.org. The email will come in and within a very short period of time, you'll be connected with a peer coach. Um, you can contact uh, my, I, we have an 800 number. I'm going to have to look it up because my brain only has so much capacity. Um, Dr. Pam Arnell would be the one doing the um Inter the interview confirmation con uh, 800-221-9154 800-221-9154 that is our uh toll free number get help at 220.org it'll be dr pam arnell that'll be reaching out getting you scheduled and getting you taken care of and that includes your whole family so if you're a veteran and you're struggling and you have a husband or wife they're struggling with you they need to go through the process you guys need to heal together and your kids We've worked with kids as young as four years old, right? So. No cost, no cost, no cost. just yep. your time, just, yep. just a phone call away. Phone call away, no, no cost for the veteran or their family or first responder or their family. Uh, we've got a couple foundations that are funding uh, the cost of treatment and it's just a little bit of time and a label. That's all you're going to lose. And it works. It works. It all right. Well, thank you, Dan. And thank you, Mobius, for providing this platform to help both transitioning vets as well as those looking to hire them in the field of maintenance and reliability, but also really trauma relief and, and recovery. You're, you're a damn fine American, Dan Jarvis, and uh, I'm glad to know you and uh, very happy to have you on this podcast. Thank you for your time today. Eric, thanks for the platform and the audience to speak with. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Veterans Connected. We will see you back for another episode very soon. In between, we hope to see you in the Veterans Connected community group where you can meet Eric and fellow podcast guests and share with other industry veterans at MobiusConnect.com. And we hope to see you there.